keep thinking something else is going to happen there. Nothing else does. There are four college students from Duke that all had the same chemistry exam. But uh, the weekend was coming, and they made some other plans. And so they, they went up to UVA and stayed too long uh, for various reasons that uh, many of you can imagine. And uh, they made a, an excuse for missing their chemistry exam. So instead of getting back in time, they just stayed up there, and then they came back and they told their college professor, Jim Bonk, that they had a flat tire on the way home, and they had to stay in a motel. So he said, well, that's all right. On Monday, you can take a makeup exam. And so on Monday, uh, they all came in, all four of them, and uh, they opened their exam and started to go through the questions. And each question had an assigned value, you know, five points, ten points, when they got to, to the end of the exam, one of them spoke up and said, you know, this only, this only adds up to 50 points. And uh, Dr. Bonk said, that's right, this is the final question of your exam. And he went to the blackboard and he wrote, which tire? <laughs> 50% of their exam, which tire? Right. Tough love. What's loving about tough love? Everybody's had a teacher that you liked much more later on in life, right? At the time, you didn't like him so much. But then you realized down the line how valuable that person was in your life. They're hard on you. The coach, even a peer who takes the risk, Right? Proverbs says that the kisses of an enemy multiply, but the wounds of a friend are faithful, right? Everybody has, has friends like that, family members who, who lovingly, carefully confront us when we need to be brought into check. We're in a series called Level, and we, we need to understand that if we're going to love each other well, we have to realize that love is tender and tough. Tender and tough. We know the opposite, too. We know those, we've seen those who, uh, who instead of having lines drawn for them, instead of being confronted, are always having excuses made for them, right? The classic, not my child, right? So you get the call, the call goes home from school, and of course my child couldn't have done that, right? It's not good. It's not good for a kid. To be without boundaries, to be without accountability, to be without consequences. So let's take a look at tough love as Jesus demonstrates it in John chapter 5. From the Word of God, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Hear God's Word this morning. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. 
One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Let's pray together. Father, would you bless this word, not only that we may understand it, but that it may become our own. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's take a look at, at love as tender and as tough. Love as tender and as tough. And then let's see how we, each one of us, can look into our, our own day and see where we may be erring one way or another. Love as tender and tough, and then and we'll apply it to our own lives. First, tender. Love must be tender because everybody around you is fighting a great battle. Love must be tender because everybody around you is fighting a great battle. You've, have you heard that expression before? Be kinder than necessary for everyone around you is fighting a great battle. A philosopher named Nietzsche said that. Be kinder than necessary, for everyone around you is fighting a great battle. There's a, uh, there's a training video by one of the fast food restaurants. I won't tell you what it is, but they only serve chicken. Anyway, there's this video, and you see people uh, sitting around the, the dining room of this fast food restaurant. And, and the, the camera is moving around, and then over them is one of these little thought bubbles. And over each, each one of these individuals, it, it says something about their background that you wouldn't be able to know just looking at them. It says things like, lost a job and is wondering how he's going to provide for his family. Right? Just, and, you know, it swoops around, comes over to another guy. Just, just, uh, just found out that he, uh, he, his last course of chemo was effective. And it swoops over here. Would be, uh, would be her 60th anniversary. Would have been her 60th anniversary. Right? <laughs> Moves over to a, a, a young girl. Uh, mother, her mother died in childbirth. Now these are real stories. These are real stories of real people who agreed to be in this training video. And isn't it amazing then we see people day after day and we see their faces and we interact with them and we don't give it a thought about what they're bringing to us. We don't give it a thought about what they've been dealing with and what battle they may be fighting. Be kinder than necessary for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. I saw recently a, a woman behind a counter, you know, a, a cashier, seeing people, really seeing them. I was amazed. I was watching. I was waiting in line. I was very impatient. I was really tired. I was road weary, you know, when you're driving long distances and you just, you think you, that your attitude doesn't matter because these people, you're never going to see them again. 
You ever get like that? And here's this woman who's greeting person after person after person just like that. And she's really seeing them. And I can tell that this is somebody who can see people not just as somebody they have to deal with for a few seconds and move on, but, but what's really going on with them. And I could see her disarmed. She could see the argument between the kids. And, and she entered into it in a way that just, that just completely brought peace there. And, and she spoke to somebody just in front of me who, who was really grumpy, but, but took the initiative and drew them out and, and completely changed that person's demeanor. Everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Jesus saw, right? The scriptures say things sometimes we pass right by. Look at it again. When Jesus saw him. Saw him where? At the pool of Bethesda. Near the sheep gate. Well, what's the big deal about the pool of Bethesda? You know, Beth, Beth is a word for my wife. Yeah, you all know that. But Beth is also, also means house in Aramaic or in Hebrew. Aramaic is an ancient form of Hebrew. And so anytime you see Beth, it, it means house. And in this case, Beth, Bethesda is house of mercy. And so the pool of Bethesda would be a pool with these five colonnades around it. That means that there are places where people can shelter And it's a place that attracted and drew people who were dealing with lifetime chronic problems. And the pool itself, uh, you know, the idea here is that there's a pool and and that people come down to the pool for healing. Now, what's, what's silent in this passage and in this story here is that Jesus presumes that it is a pool with healing power. He doesn't question it. And you know that Jesus is somebody that when he's on his way from point A to point B, what happens? Time and time again, someone stops him, interrupts him, turns him aside, pulls him. Someone is always pulling on him, asking, how do you feel when someone's always pulling on your brain? That's how I, that's how I, I, uh, I call it. There's, there's somebody always pulling on my brain for a decision, right? At, at home or at work. You know, if you're, if you're a mother, they're always asking why. If you're, if you're a father, they're asking when. You know, and, and, it's, and it's constant, and there's, there's, there's always somebody pulling on your brain, right? And you get decision fatigue. Anybody ever get decision fatigue? It's like, I don't know. I don't care. Whatever. I'm, I'm at the end of my, That's the last decision I can make today, right? Anybody ever feel that way? You watch Jesus throughout the book of John and, and, and constantly people are pulling on his brain and pulling on his power and pulling on his wisdom and drawing him into something and always asking him to do something for him. So why would he go to the pool of Bethesda? Why would he go there? If it doesn't matter where he is, someone who needs him is always being needy. Why would he go to the one place in Jerusalem where he is bound to find people in need? Because God identifies with the last, the least, and the lost. Unlike any other faith statement about God, the God of the Bible, Christianity, 
the God of the universe, the God who made us, identifies with the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, and the child. God identifies with people who are in need. God is a God of mercy. And so love must be tender. Love must be tender. If we are to follow after this God, we must walk in his ways. And the ways that he walked was to initiate, to engage, to seek out people who were far from him, seek out people who were in need, seek out people who had issues that would confront us in our health and our well-being. To find people, to seek out people. In Isaiah 58, God even identifies worship in Isaiah 58, verse 10. God identifies worship, true, full, filled worship as serving people who are the last, the least, and the lost. A lot of times the way we we carve it up, we have this binary view of the world today, don't we? We have red states, we have blue states. We have a binary view of the world. We have liberals, we have conservatives. Are you one of those or are you one of those? Those are your two choices. Sorry. Unless you smoke a pipe. Now, pipe smokers, we all know, are moderate, but that's fine. (laughs) But there's no in-between. You're either for or against. You're either with us or you're not with us. There's this binary, polarized narrative today, and it is killing us. It's killing civil discourse. Liberals look at the last, the least, and the lost They look at the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, the the person who is just without a home, wandering, the homeless, the child. They look at them and they say, the problem is our system of economics. If we can just fix that and get that right, then everyone will prosper. The conservative, the conservative says, you know what it is? It's just, it's family, it's our values are broken, and that's it, that's that's it. It's the panacea. The panacea is either this one or it's that one. What does Jesus do? He's not making excuses, nor is he backing away, nor is he slotting people as this one or that one. But he's entering in life on life to engage people in need. Even though everywhere he goes, he runs into these people, he still seeks them out. Love must be tender for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. You say, well, Tim, that's, uh, a lot of that is pretty obvious, isn't it? I mean, it, it, why, are you, why are you going over this and over this? No, because, first of all, two reasons. One is God identifies with the last, the least, and the lost. All right? God identifies with people in need. Bethesda is house of mercy. It's a merciful God. But the second reason is, the reason why I've gone over this and over this and over this is because of what I'm about to say. (laughs) What I'm about to say, a lot of you are not going to like. And some of you are not going to like it for one reason, and others of you are not going to like it for another reason. You see, yes, love must be tender for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle, but sometimes love must be tough because for some people, their greatest battle is with themselves. Let me say that again. Love must be tender because everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. 
But sometimes love must be tough because some people's greatest battle is with themselves. Love must be tough. What's that look like? There was a, there was a one-hit wonder in the 70s named Nick Lowe. You've got to be cruel to be kind, right? Remember that? <laughs> now, some of you are going to kill me for that because uh, for the next week, that song is going to be playing over and over and over in your mind. But it's not always true that hurting people, hurting to hurt someone is to harm them. Sometimes hurting people helps them, right? You know there's between hurt and harm? Think of a dentist, all right? If a dentist pulls a diseased tooth, right, it will hurt, but not harm. If he pulls the wrong tooth, it will harm and hurt. But you see, there, there are forms of hurt that are good for us. There are ways that, that we hurt each other that are loving, loving. We have to understand that when Jesus said the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, if you put yourself in the position of someone who is hurting themselves, the loving thing to do is to step between them and what they want. Here, I'll give you an example. Somebody came, you know, people come to the church every, almost every day looking for assistance. They call, they knock on the door. Almost every day there's somebody, no, every day, not almost every day, every day, there's somebody looking for something. One young man came uh, some, some time ago and, and um, looked like a really uh, very a- attractive, strong, healthy young guy. Came up and he said, I need help. Can you put me up in a, uh, in a hotel? I said, well, tell me your story. What's going on? He said, well... I paid, I, I did this thing, and I went on this, and he was very honest with me. He told me that he, um, he made a bad decision, and he failed to pay his rent. And his, his uh, landlord locked him out until he could pay the rent. So he couldn't get into his apartment. So he'd been sleeping on the front doorstep of his apartment for the last two nights. And so now I'm confronted with, do I put this person up in, into a hotel room or a motel room? So now you're not, some of you are not going to like the end of the story. So I'm, I'm staying here. I'm saying, do I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be a gatekeeper for, for mercy, right? Should I be tender or tough? And I looked at this guy and I said to him, that is hard. And I didn't say anything else. And he kind of shuffled and looked at me a little bit and he said, well, and so I'm, I'm locked out, so I need you to help put me up in a, uh, a motel room. And I said, that's really tough. And I said, you know what? I'll bet you anything that this will never happen again. And you know what happened? He smiled at me. <laughs> he smiled. Because he knew exactly what I was saying and what I was doing. He smiled at me. And he said, you're right. That's tough. That made me very uncomfortable. You know, sometimes we think it's loving to do the thing that the person is asking for us to do. But how loving is it to give somebody something that perpetuates them 
in a cycle that is not healthy for them. Codependency is a, is a, a psychological word, uh, a word from modern psychology. It means this. It's a dysfunctional helping relationship where one person supports or enables another person's addiction, poor mental health, irresponsibility, or underachievement. Not my child. Not my child. I remember hearing Deion Sanders when he was interviewed one time. He grew up in Fort Myers, Florida on the streets dealing with a really difficult background. Neon Deion, of course, he's got incredible talent, but he, he had a lot of friends with commensurate talent. I mean, he was with a lot of people who had the same amount of talent. And he made choices. He made, he made choices about how he spent his time. And he has this expression, Ida. He said, the Idas, watch out for the Idas. Ida be making, Ida, I'd have been making uh, $3 million if I hadn't done such and such, right? People understand that, that we do have choices. And, and, and sometimes we don't do the loving thing, don't operate out of the golden rule. Why? Because we want to just make somebody's problem go away in the moment. Now, how loving is that to the other person? Think about that. Put yourself in that position. What we end up doing is we end up loving ourselves more than the other person. By trying to quickly make this problem go away for that person. Now, of course, there are times that you... Just, you just need to do that. You just need to, you just need to give somebody something. And, and, and to get taken. Sometimes you just have to get taken. You can't just sum everybody up in terms of, uh, of mercy or justice. You can't just sum everybody up in terms of tender or tough. You see, what's required is that we see the person that we show up, that we engage them life on life, that you build a relationship with people that are far from God, that you build a relationship with people who are hurting, that you build a relationship with the last, the least, and the lost, that you seek them out, that you understand what their story really is. And until you understand what the story really is, then you cannot give helpful help. You might end up doing harm with your so-called help. Jesus watched this guy. He's sitting here. He's been there for 38 years by the pool of Bethesda. And he asks him a question. Remember the question? Did you notice the question? He asks him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Now, why would he ask him that? I mean, isn't that almost a frustrating question? What do you mean, do I want to get well? I'm sitting here, I can't move. I, I've, I've been, uh, I've been uh, you know, a paralytic for, for, for 38 years. I've, been, I've, I've put myself right by this pool so that I can't. But then here come the excuses. Every time I go, every time the water is stirred, and that's the, the understanding is that the spirit is on the move and that the water is, is there and the healing powers are active. And so every time somebody steps down in front of me, now you're telling me for 38 years he couldn't have somebody there's not somebody. Now, here's this guy looking at me, and he's locked out of his apartment. And I'm saying, are you telling me that you are in your 30s, and you have nobody in your life whose couch you can crash on tonight? Are you telling me that? Is that what you're saying to me? You're saying to me there's nobody in this 7-billion-person uh, world that will let you sleep on their couch. Is that what you're saying to me? Are you telling me that? 
And he just starts shaking his head and smiling. I am busted, right? And Jesus is saying, do you want to get well? Sometimes we make choices, every one of us, me included, we make choices that are chronic choices because we've just gotten used to them. And Jesus is asking the question, if I heal you, do you know that that comes with more responsibility? You can't just sit around here with your hand out. And if you've gotten used to this lifestyle, if you don't really want to own this, if you're not in it, if you're not an owner of your own healing, then you're not going to be able to sustain it. Worse things are going to happen. You're going to be healed, but also in this chronic dependent situation. So Jesus says, do you want to get well? I was with, uh, with my friend Marvin Hardy this, uh, this weekend, and Marvin started a medical clinic. He walked away from a very lucrative uh, medical practice called Interlochen Pediatrics. It's, it's the most popular um, uh, pediatric clinic in Orlando, Florida, and he started an inner city clinic so that he could create a medical home for people who don't have a continuity of care, and that's his whole thing, a continuity of care. So he's ministering to the widow, the orphan, the foreigner. He was talking to me about people who are flooding into the country from Venezuela because the oil price is dropping and people having no means, and, and, and children who are not being well taken care of. And he said, you know, I'm amazed you're preaching on that. He asked me what I was preaching on this Sunday. I said, John chapter 5, he said, do you want to get well? I said, that's right. That's the question. He said, I go over that and over that and over that with our staff for this very reason. If people do not want to participate and take ownership in their own healing, they will not get better. You can do anything, you can, you can plead and you can cry and you can, you, can, you, can, you can manipulate and you can persuade and you are becoming someone who tries to help but ends up harming. And Jesus asks the question and he asks the question of us every time we come to this table. Do you want to get well? Do you come to this table as a passive recipient? And see, this is not a table where you come and say, Lord, I'm just going to leave it all at the foot of your cross knowing that you've done it all. Yes, we do, but, but, but you bring something to this table. Do you, do you know what you bring? Do you know that you must actively participate in bringing something to this table? There's one thing you have to bring. It's not that you just come and you just receive a wafer and you, you dip it into the cup and then you take it and you return and you just think, I, I, just, I just hope that sitting near the pool of Bethesda is going to do something for me, right? There's one thing you have to bring to this table and you have to examine yourself and say, why do I need to come here? Do I really need to be at this table? And the answer is yes, you have something to give to God. God asks it of you and it is a word that nobody uses today. It's a politically incorrect word. It's a word that we don't like to even talk about. You don't even hear it outside of a church, and the word is sin. So what do you bring today? Would you bow your heads as we, as we consider what it means to come before the table of the Lord? Would you bow your heads with me? And I ask that you consider today, what is it that you need to bring?
in just a minute, our, our, our two stations are going to be here. Our, our elders of the church are going to be standing on either side of this. What are you bringing? Not just what are you receiving. What are you bringing forward? What, what is on your heart? What is in your lifestyle? What pattern is there? What unconfessed sin do you have? What, what assumption are you making about yourself and the people around you? What sin do you bring this morning?